0: Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine Leperriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're gonna gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're gonna hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged and really inspired you. We wanna hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you wanna hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Hello, Tanya, and thank you so much for joining me on the show. I'm so glad to have you here. Now, I'm just going to start by saying why I invited you onto the show. So I am getting this opportunity to work with you on the advancement of women. It's a large initiative, and I just love the insight and wisdom that you have from so many years of working in different parts of the organization and moving your career. And some of the stories that you tell and some of the insights that you have have I just find so fascinating and so inspiring. So I had to have you on the Best Boss Ever show. So thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Christine. It's a real pleasure to be here today. And
0: just so everybody knows, can you do a quick introduction?
1: Yeah, quick introduction. So uh, my name is Tanya Campbell. I am a regional vice president for mobile financial planning team uh, within Scotia Bank, And I've been with the bank for uh, coming on to 25 years. So lots of experiences with bosses, I think in that 25 years, probably over a dozen roles. So that's over a dozen bosses and probably lots to share.
0: Absolutely. Well, and that's why I just want to dive in. So, you know, again, of those dozen bosses, you would have seen and learned so much. So When you think back about some of the ones that stand out as your best boss ever, who comes to mind and why?
1: So I would say there's a few of them. And, you know, without calling out names, the ones that really stand out for me share very, very common characteristics amongst them. And, you know, it's easy enough to just say, you know, they, they trusted me, they gave me autonomy, they gave me some flexibility to do my job the way I needed to do it. I think the real issue is, is you kind of have to talk about specifically what those things mean. But I would say that the ones that come top of mind do, you know, did offer me trust, flexibility, autonomy, and, and the trust was probably the number one at the very, very top of it all.
0: So if you were to describe for so many of us, what does trust look like in, motion. You know, when you're working for a boss and you know that trust is there, tell us exactly what does that look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to describe, but I, I would use the words or I would use the analogy. They have my back and you only really know what you have my back means when you experience it. And, you know, for me, I think the best way to describe specific example would be, you know, there was a time when I was running a project, um, very high stakes projects, my perspective, anyways, across the bank, and you always know, especially, you know, over time, as you sort of develop through your career, you know, which ones are high stakes, you know, when there's people who are, you know, talking or meeting about certain topics, behind the scenes, and when you have somebody who you has your back, you know that when things aren't always going well, because let's face it, not everything goes perfect 100% of the time or, you know, conversely, it's just, it's not, it, it could be going perfectly fine, but you, you will always have stakeholders who view things differently. And for me, it was always knowing, or it was knowing that when those differences of opinions or perspectives were happening, that my leader was um, 100% always on my side. So if things were being said or done that were making them feel like maybe perhaps the stakeholders or or the the person that's sharing the opinion, if it didn't really seem like it was coming off in my favor, I knew that they were. You know, they would use words like, you know, that. Let me check into that. And it was not ever about siding with what was going on or feeding into that. And the reason I knew that was because that boss would come back to me and say, Hey, what's going on? And they would give me the opportunity to share my perspective first. And then in a very safe way, go, here's what was said. And let's talk through that. And so it was, it always felt like they gave me the benefit of the doubt first before feeding into any sort of uh, negative dialogue or, or what have you. So, and you know, that's just one example. It was, I, I can think of, I'm, I'm drawing on that experience as we talk about without giving away the project, but that very specific example I knew cause there was multiple times where there was things that from, you know, appearances from other people that it didn't look like it was going so well but they always, that boss always came to me. And, and I honestly, the the person I report to right now, I have that exact same feeling. It doesn't matter what the initiative is. I know that that person trusts me. And I got to tell you the other part, the other tangible thing that, that comes from feeling trust is that you feel braver, Mm. you feel more okay to take risks. You feel more okay to take control, to make decisions because you're not fearing any of the ramifications. And, you know, I know there were times when, you know, in in my current role where perhaps uh, I had to make a judgment call and wasn't exactly sure if it was the right judgment call, but because I felt safe and I felt trust, I made the decision. And I knew that, you know, the call would have been, even if it was a bad call, that the discussion with my leader would have been okay let's walk through that why did you make that decision and that could have been a learning experience rather than a beat-up experience so right that's a couple of uh, experiences i've had
0: i love the way that you point out when you work for a leader that trusts you you feel braver so what do you think feeling braver actually does for your development
1: yeah i mean you you take risks And I think risk-taking is what makes you grow and it's okay. You know, when you're in an environment of trust and that trust breeds risk, then you know that there is no outcome that is bad. If, if you take the risk and it's successful, yay, because, you know, winning breeds winning or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to, whatever phrase you want to use success breeds success, winning breeds winning. But when you're in a safe environment and you have trust if you fail you know that it's going to be seen as something that you're learning from and how you're going to do better next time and so it's a it's a win-win outcome whether it's a win or whether it's a fail and you know that when you're in that environment i think that you can also know that when you're not in that environment because if you're feeling constrained if you're feeling like you can't make that decision if you're feeling like Oh my God, I don't want to do that because I'm going to get in trouble. Then <laughs> you know you're right. not with a, a great boss because you're you're not empowered. So the the exact opposite is also true.
0: And um, you know, I just gonna bring this up because this is one of my passion topics, but what does it do for your stress level too when you look at the difference between working for someone who says, Don't worry about it, I've got your back to take risks, versus when you're working for someone and you don't have that safety or that security.
1: Yeah. It's the difference between thriving and surviving. And honestly, you know, when I think about the, the roles that I've been in where I'm thriving, it's because I've got trust in that environment and surviving has been in situations where like, I'm I need to outlive this person or this group where there is no trust and surviving is I'm going to do just what I need to do today to get to tomorrow and get to the next day until I, I I'm finding myself somewhere else. So it is literally the difference between thriving and surviving. And, you know, Christine, I have, I have, you know, peers and people who come to me for advice all the time on navigating their career, where they should go, um, what they should do, how have I sort of navigated it. And some of the things that I share with them, obviously, like there's, you know, there's networking and and relationship currency is a big topic you got, you and I have um, discussed at length lately. But I always say to them, you know, when you're doing that, when you're going through that process, be very careful because people can want to go like, I, you know, I would love to work in this area. I'd love to work in technology, or I would love to work in distribution leadership, or I would love to work in customer experience. And you could, you very well could, but you need to actually go and find out about the leadership and the environment there, and really, what I'm getting at is the level of trust. It's not you. You do need to, you know, obviously, you're almost like people think about, oh, I'm going to go and and I'm going to network with this leader, and I because I want them to think about me for the next job. I'm like, well, you might want to be, in, you might want to go there and think about whether you want them to be the leader for you at the next job. It is a two way street, and the reason I tell them that is because you can love the work itself what you're going to do. But if you don't love the boss, the person that you're mm-hmm. reporting to and the people around you, which are often a function of the trust in that environment, then it doesn't work. You right. can love it just as much as you can love the person and the, and the colleagues in the environment around you. But if you hate the work, that's not going to work. You need to find sort of that, you know, that balance of those two. And that it really truly does come from, it starts with the boss, right? Because that, mm-hmm. that is what creates that environment of trust. And so, you know, I think, you know, there's some really cliche things about, you know, good bosses, which is they, 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 they provide trust, they empower, they give autonomy and all those good things. It's cliche for a reason is because it's true. Like when you get those things, you feel like you're in an environment where you can thrive and not survive. Right. So one
0: question I have for you while we're just kind of closing this. So now that you're in a leadership position and you have people that are coming to you, when you think of autonomy, for example, so there's a high risk project and you could go ahead and say, Hey, I'm going to let you run with it. I've got your back, but you know that there's personal consequence to you if they fail or they don't get it right, or you might have to do it over, or you might have a lot of it could come down to you, people asking you, why didn't you manage this person? Well, how do you deal with that now that your the roles are reversed?
1: Yeah. I mean, so then I guess that becomes the question of, well, how, like, how do you become a good boss? How do you provide th- autonomy and authority? And it really boils down to communication because ultimately if I provide authority to somebody, but I haven't given them proper instruction, that's on me. I should I should be in trouble. Like if I'm if I'm the throat to choke and it fails, I should. But giving people authority and autonomy to do their job comes with they have to have the right instruction. They have to know what the goal is. And so that has to come from me. So that is, you know, that is what is required of a good boss is to start with providing the you know the vision, the instruction what you can and can't do. Like you have to give them the, gu- the guideposts of what they can work within. And once they have that, then you let them go. That's kind of how, you know, I look at it. And I th- when I, and again, when I think back to those people who did that for me, who set the good example for me, they told me what my, you know, what's my playground? what What are the guardrails in which I can play in? And then I knew, okay, it's outside that. Well, I better seek guidance and authority because it's outside of those bounds. And so yeah, it really boils down to to that and, you know, communicating as often as possible, so providing an open door policy so that if they're unsure, they can safely come and ask those questions and not feel like they're going to be admonished for it. So you know, it's seeking to understand. So as you know, now that I'm not in the boss's shoes and I have a team under me, un, under me, having their back is doing exactly what I just shared with you, which is when I hear something, I go, thanks very much for that information. And then I go to my direct report and I go, hey, what's going on? Seek to understand first. Um, we all know there's three sides to every story, right? So Absolutely. it's really, it's really listening before you speak. It's listening and asking a lot of questions to get a good, deep understanding, listening to hear the answer, not listening so you can respond. So I, you know, I try, I try to do and model all those things because they were the things that were done for me and worked for me and allowed me to thrive in my career.
0: That's excellent.
1: And then I have
0: to ask the question. We all know that we learn the most sometimes from the worst boss we've ever had, (laughs) And you don't have to name any names, but just yeah. when you think of those lessons, you know, what did you learn from the people who weren't the best leaders or your favorite leaders?
1: Yeah, it, Christine, so like we we did have a little bit of a preamble on, on this topic. You know, I think back to that and, and the, the truth is, is, you know, you can't have the good without the bad. How do you know what's good unless you also know what's bad? Um, and the bad also, for those of you, you know those people who want to be good can can take what happened in that situation and make themselves better, which makes you you know more good. So mm-hmm. um, you know those experiences for me, when I think about those times and obviously not naming any names, um, they were really, really hard experiences to have and I shared with you that analogy of the thriving versus surviving so yeah I did have a couple of times in my journey over the 25 years where I was surviving and not thriving and it's hard at the in that moment to think about it and oh what can I take away from this um, so, you know, no judgment if you're in that moment or in that right now, and you can't take the good out of it, but I assure you when you get out on the other side, if you look back and you go, what was it that was so painful? Um, for me, it was taking it and looking at it and saying, I will never, I made, make a commitment. I will never do that. I will never be that kind of a person because I'm going to etch this in my memory, how awful that made me feel. And therefore I will not do that to somebody else. And again, you talk about cliches, but the, the behaviors in those scenarios were almost the exact opposite of all of the things I just shared with you, which was, I didn't feel like I had trust. I felt like I didn't have autonomy. I had somebody who was over me constantly Where's this, where's that, you know, second request, third request when, you know, maybe they didn't give you the instruction, which is what I just shared with you, which was key. Right. I'm right. like, well, I didn't give it to you because you didn't tell me you needed it. Right. <laughs> and so it, it's that it's lack of access, lack of clarity in the instruction. It's Blame. Blame is a big thing for me in, in that environment where there's a bad boss, I've got air quotes. Um, this is an audio, but if you could see me, I'm air quoting um, the bad <laughs> boss. Is there's, a, there's often an environment of blame. And so you're constantly, you know, feeling like you've got the shield over you, protecting you from the, you know, the blame, the finger being pointed at you. So that's the opposite. But yeah, the, the beauty, if you can look at it afterwards is you can take that experience if you're committed to being a good boss, you want to be a good boss in the future. You take that experience and you commit to not doing those things. And if you have no aspiration to be a good boss, because maybe you just, let's be honest, not everybody aspires to leadership, but what you can learn from it is what I went back to, you know, take us back to where we were earlier, which is knowing what to look out for when you are looking at changing positions in the future is like, okay, how do you sniff that out? How do you know when you're, you know, reverse interviewing for a boss? How do you know that that's the type they are? Uh, And my advice to people would be, you know, to to ask about leadership style, um, and more importantly, um, interview the people on the team. Ask them how things are, right?
0: I'm I'm smiling while you're telling this story because my one of my famous (laughs) moments in my career. I went to work for someone, and prior to taking the job, I interviewed three different people that had worked for him, and every single one said, "Don't go work for him." (laughs) And I said, "I get along with everyone," (laughs) and then (laughs) I proceeded to march off and go work for him, and learned 18 months later that. I don't get along with everyone. (laughs) And, you know, I guess to your exact point, you know, you go do your homework, but also to not be so naive that you do get, you you know, some of us walk in thinking, oh, but I'll be able to handle that or I'll be able Mm -hmm. to handle that. But when you talk to three or four people and they all, you know, don't feel like that person is the most empowering, just be prepared.
1: <laughs> yeah. One red, one red flag means talk to another per- person, two red flags. It's probably, it's probably two red flags, <laughs> right? <laughs> Three, right. It's, it's a definite like, don't go there, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that I would say, you know, when do people not, not see the red flags, it's when they're desperate to get out of their situation that they're in right now. So that's, you know, if you're desperate because you're in the, the surviving survival mode, you're more apt to make a mistake and i would say that is when you need to be the most cautious and do the most due diligence and i and on the flip side i get you know i have got all these sort of like juxtapositions or these sort of oppositions to each other the truth i think is, is also when you're in the thriving mode that i discuss or have shared with you I think it's easier to find the driving again because it's almost, you know, it's like a snowball effect. Like once you're in there, you just never really kind of gravitate back towards them. So I think the, the, the truth could also be said about um, the bad boss situation. But I've I've seen people who've been able to navigate their way out and and navigate their way uh, back in by mistake right and desperation
0: right. excellent. Any last tips for any leaders that are listening right now and they want to take something away really tangible that they should implement next week
1: no, I think that you know for me it's if understanding your own style of leadership and I think when you know I've done some homework on leadership, I've read books and stuff and when I if I were to describe, my style and the styles that have really worked for me and for many people around me is it's a servant style leadership and i think if you're a leader who's trying to figure that out and understand you know what they want to be if you want to be the one that provides trust who provides lots of instruction and gives people autonomy if that sounds like the type of boss you want to be then you have to understand what servant style leadership is And that is that you work for those people, not that they work for you. And if you adopt that mindset, like I'm here to serve you, I'm here to make your job easier. I'm here to empower you. It means you're serving them. And so that's my view. It's not necessarily everybody's view and certainly other leadership styles work but it's been my experience that when you look at it from that perspective you see your employees differently you see them as wanting to under you truly you genuinely want to understand it's like i'm i'm not doing this because the book said i should do it i'm doing it because i serve these people and it really does for me like when i understood that about myself that that's what i you know brings me joy in the work that i do it completely changed everything for me. And it's, you know, it was a long time. It's not like I woke up one day and said, oh, this is what I am. It's just that over time I learned that. And so the advice I would give to people is, you know, figure it out. Like, what, it, what type of leader do you want to be? And if you haven't done the reflection, like what you and I've talked about today, Christine, which is, you know, who were the best bosses, who were the worst bosses? If you have, if you, that's the very next step, would be if you've not done that. Um, do it and then figure out which pieces of the puzzle you're going to bring forward in your life and make a conscious effort to do. Excellent. My advice in a nutshell.
0: I love it. Thank you so much, Tanya. I know people are going to get a lot of value out of this. So thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Christine.
0: If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our
1: newsletter, The Whip.